0: And at that point, the website, my website was profitable. You know, no one was buying yachts or anything like that, but we were in the black. We had paid subscribers. We we were doing we were doing well. We'd won a bunch of awards. And so ESPN says to me, We'd we'd like to buy your website, move you out to Connecticut, and make you the guy. So a two-year deal with a a third year option that was only ESPNs. They had the option to keep me and and I ended up doing 15 years there.
1: Hey, this is Jesse here, and this is the Betting Startups Podcast, where we interview the founders and CEOs of the most promising startups competing for a piece of the multi-billion dollar sports betting industry. We're dropping this episode just days before Super Bowl 57, so we couldn't think of a more appropriate guest for this one than the face of fantasy football himself, Matthew Barry. But before we get started, I wanted to remind you that despite the doom and gloom in the headlines right now with job losses and layoffs, there are still thousands of open jobs at some of the top employers in the betting and fantasy sports industry, and bettingrolls.com is the easiest way to see them all in one place. It costs absolutely nothing to look at the postings and even offers free tools to help you find your dream role. Take the first step in your next big chapter in this exciting and growing industry by visiting bettingrolls.com. That's B-E-T-T-I-N-G-R-O-L-E-S.com. All right, we are back with episode 59 of the Betting Startups podcast. And for this one, we welcome back another guest host to assume control of the microphone. Christiana Yebra, otherwise known as CY, is a chief marketing officer for Invenue. And CY, it's about as busy of a time as it gets in this business with the Super Bowl just over a week away. How are things going for you and the Invenue team here ahead of the big game?
2: We are super excited. We launched NFL Markets uh, last year and have just been really impressed with the progress that we've made. So we'll certainly be watching uh, the big game and following along with our predictive analytics. But we've also got a massive announcement coming out, a league partnership. I can't share too much about it. I teased it a little bit in the episode, um, but hopefully in the coming weeks, you guys will have to follow along. It's a uh, -a one-of-a-kind partnership, and I cannot wait to shout it from the rooftops. But legally, I can't say anything yet.
1: Understood. Exciting. Well, we'll wait for that. But for now, for this episode, you talked with Matthew Berry, the longtime face of fantasy football for ESPN that's now involved in a wide array of different projects within the betting space. Wondering if you can give the audience a preview of your discussion with Matthew and tee up the episode for us.
2: Well, Matthew is known for making predictions uh, in fantasy sports about which players to start. He's also pretty good at predicting trends and exciting new uh, you know, approaches to fan engagement. Fantasy football, I and I mentioned this in the episode, is one of the best examples, I think, of driving engagement from the fans for NFL, for a league, uh, for a sport in general. So uh, he was ahead of his time uh, with fantasy football, but he's also really excited about some new startups. He's an advisor of ours, but is actively involved in seeking out new opportunities to advise and invest. And I'm trusting his prediction skills to uh, to lead him to success in the business world as well. So he'll talk all about that a little bit about his journey and some of the exciting initiatives he has coming up
1: it was an awesome episode. You did a fantastic job in the host seat. So thank you again for jumping in today. And with that, onto the episode with Matthew Berry.
2: All right, guys. This is Christiana Yebra, CMO and venue, and Jesse's guest host of the Betting Startups Podcast. And I am honored, excited, nervous, but more excited to have my friend and In Venue advisor Matthew Berry here with me today. Hey, Matthew.
0: CY, what's up? How are you?
2: You know, I'm just trying to stay warm here in Dallas where our weather is less than ideal. Looks like temperatures will be back up to the 60s by this weekend. So I'm all right. I'm doing okay. Where in the world are you today?
0: I'm currently in Connecticut. I got a busy two weeks of travel coming up here. Not that anyone cares about what I'm doing, but I'm in Connecticut. I'm on a plane to Pittsburgh tomorrow. My 18 year old son is visiting West Virginia. It's, he's it's one of the colleges that he got into, so we're starting the college campus tour. He's gotten into a bunch of schools, so I'm taking him to West Virginia. So I'll actually be in Morgantown, West Virginia, at some point later tomorrow night. You fly into Pittsburgh and then you drive. And then, and then I'm in Phoenix this weekend for the Super Bowl. I'll be broadcasting Small all Small event long. coming
2: up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: for the Super Bowl. And then after that, Las Vegas for the Fantasy Sports Gaming Association Conference. I'm handing out an award there. So lots going on in the next two weeks. A lot of planes.
2: I don't know if you remember this, but that's actually where we very first met was FSGA, I guess, over a year ago. It was a summer yep. conference, though. And I have in a- Dallas. In Dallas. And th- yeah, I guess that was summer 2021. I, I can't believe right. that that time has really fun by. But, you know, I my hearing is not great at events. I feel like there's so much going on. And somebody tapped my shoulder on our team and said, hey, Matthew, Barry's here. I heard Perry hmm. and I thought, what is what's he doing here from yeah. why is Chandler yeah. here? Yeah, why is Chandler here? But no, Matthew Barry and our team freaked out. Our co-founder, Drew, was <laughs> delighted. I think he he peer pressured you into a photo, which I'm sure you get all the time. But that's where we first met. And and here we are a year and a half later. There you go. Those.
0: magic at first sight. So, uh, <laughs> but no, it was, listen, I, I think what happened is because like to try to focus this podcast on actual startups. What? So what happened is, is that I heard you guys do an elevator pitch and your elevator pitch and venues elevator pitch was to be kind, terrible. And I heard it. I heard, I heard the CEO, Kelly, Kelly give this pitch And it was just like, it was a lot. And and you guys and venue at the time was looking at doing some stuff in terms of broadcast and media and, and in terms of being able to present odds live, you know, pitch by pitch, play by play. And then she finally gets the tech, which is amazing. Your tech is incredible. And I literally came to you guys and I said, listen, that pitch is terrible. You guys should run and don't, you know, don't pass go. Like you should run immediately to a micro betting in sports, because that's your future. That's where you guys could absolutely crush. And uh, you guys did what often happens in the in startup world, is you guys made a pivot. You guys listened to what I said. You looked at it, and you made a pivot. You realized well, I was smart and right. You asked me to be on the advisory board, which I had agreed to do. And, and Venue is crushing it ever since. So I'm not saying I I get all the credit. See <laughs> why? But I will say I, I will never forget our first meeting because uh, because that's what happened at our first meeting where I I uh, convinced you guys to pivot and I think for the right for uh, rightfully so. By the way, it's been it's been a great success so far
2: you're you're so right you had you, you truly did have an influence on on our approach we were really thinking about fan engagement at a totally different level and when we described what the company did which there's a prior episode that we were featured on so if anybody is totally clueless on what a venue is absolutely check out the prior episode but we were really pushing towards a fan engagement type of messaging and when we described these predictive analytics people looked at us and thought why are you not talking? betting. I mean, this is amazing. You could empower these operators to offer some pretty cool data for the fans then to bet on. And and you just further, I mean, we'd heard that and we'd heard it several times, but people have really hadn't been as thoughtful as you were to sit down and say, Hey, look, I think you guys have great tech, but here's an application that I think will take it to the next level. And it's you know, since then we've raised four and a half million dollars. We've been featured on Apple. We've got a really big announcement coming out soon. And I I do not think that it would have been possible without that positive influence and encouragement that you gave. Personally,
0: I won't, I won't steal the thunder for InVenue. I know what the announcement is. It's really exciting. You guys should be congratulated on that. That's really, really cool. And I know there's a lot of cool stuff coming down the pike as well in terms of some of the conversations you guys are having. So yeah. I'm excited for the future of InVenue. Happy to Each- be a small part of it
2: you you're part of the story now whether you like it or not so we're we're in it together so yes we're, thank you so much we're excited for the announcement but speaking of being able to, to pitch yourself I'm going to ask you for what your pitch is on who you are and what you've done because you were one of the most well-documented people I mean, I've, I've done a lot of podcasts I've hosted a lot of panels and moderated a lot of things and i'm usually no like brag
0: or see why no okay one likes all right i
2: watched your okay. name drop episode okay i i know yeah. i know about bragging that's yeah. not me but you have you have some incredible experience i mean literally there's no shortage of information about you a cameo in the avengers yeah. new york times bestseller probably your favorite titles being a, a girl dad which i love but I, I would love for you to give us your elevator pitch you jump into an elevator with somebody and and they don't know who you are which is rare but let's say they don't and they say, Hey, what do you do? How do you pitch yourself?
0: The truth of the matter is, is when I jump into an elevator or I'm at a party and someone doesn't know who I am, I'm actually excited about it. If I'm being honest. So what they want is something very simple. They want a photo. They want they want me to record a video for their kid. They want to tell me about their fantasy team. They just want to tell me that they, you know, that they read an article of mine or heard a podcast or a TV show or they're a fan, something very gracious and kind and and wonderful. But they want something for me. And other times it's like they want you know, they want an introduction, they want help with this, they want help with that. they want they want me to be on their podcast, they want me to come on their show, they want me to do this or that. like it's it it happens both ways. One is if they know who I am, then they come in with a preconceived notion of who I am as a person, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, but they have they come in with a preconceived notion of who I am. A scenario in which I do describe myself is there'll be times in which I will be at a pitch meeting for a startup that I'm doing and it will be a it will be a person in charge that does not play fantasy sports that does not that is not a sports fan and so i would say to that person and you know more often than not they are women not trying to be I'm not trying to be gender biased but just my instagram audience is 95% male my twitter audience is 93% male generally speaking my audience is male when i have gone out in public whom i recognize by 9 times out of 10 it's a man When I'm in a pitch meeting and they don't know who I am, what I would say there is like I'm arguably the most well-known person when it comes to fantasy sports, especially fantasy football, that many fans, you know, they associate when they think of fantasy football, they think of me. I'm probably most well-known for popularizing fantasy football and bringing it mainstream. I was, you know, ESPN's fantasy football, their lead analyst in fantasy football for 15 years. And, you know, basically on network TV, on ESPN and cable, you know, cable TV. I was on ESPN for 15 years. You know, I was on one platform or another of the worldwide leader in sports for 15 straight years talking about fantasy football. And now I, this past summer, before this last football season, I left ESPN and went to NBC Sports, just an amazing opportunity where on NBC Sports, I am now a part of Football Night in America. I'm part of the cast of the pregame show for Sunday Night Football. It's the highest rated pregame show. It's the highest rated show on television. The only thing that's higher rated than it is the actual football game itself. But every week, Football Night in America is the second highest rated show in all of television, not just sports. So I'm a cast member of that and appear on that show weekly. In addition, I host Fantasy Football Happy Hour with Matthew Berry, a daily show that's a podcast and also a show on Peacock TV and the NFL on NBC YouTube channel. And of course, on Sunday mornings, Fantasy football pregame with Matthew Berry, which is on Peacock and CNBC Sunday mornings, 11 a.m. to one o'clock Eastern, right up until kickoff. So that's what I do. I'm probably most proud of of all the things I've accomplished in my career. There's a couple of things that I'm really proud of. You mentioned being a girl dad; that's definitely one of them. I love the fact that I do have a cameo in Avengers. Uh, but you know, probably the thing that I'm most proud of, other than just sort of my contributions to fantasy football, again, I think that. Like I said I'm I'm I didn't invent it a lot of people sometimes think I invented fantasy football I did not but I did popularize it I did thanks to being on ESPN for 15 years when I got to ESPN it was considered very niche and very nerdy something that was only for the internet and then behind a paywall on the internet and it took me a number of years at ESPN of banging down a lot of executives doors and a lot of producers doors and but ultimately we started getting it on TV we started getting it on radio we got it out from behind the paywall and slowly but surely, it, it it turned from this thing that was sort of niche and nerdy into something guys did. Again, not trying to be sexist here, but when I got to ESPN, this isn't this is no longer an elevator pitch. But when I got to ESPN in 2007, that was kind of one of the things that there was the talk internally about what can we do? You know, Yahoo Yahoo's number one in terms of fantasy users, and ESPN's a distant third. And how can we steal? how can we steal audience share from yahoo and what i said there is is i said guys listen i, I you know obviously i'm a company man I'll, I'll always promote espn but the truth of the matter is is yahoo's a good product there's no real value proposition for people to leave yahoo and go to espn like i mean you know i think espn's a good product i think yahoo's a good product and so i think instead of trying to convince the people that are on yahoo to switch even though we don't have much of a value proposition to offer them we should do live scoring for free at the time Yahoo didn't have free live scoring. So we did that. We offered, so it was a better, you know, price point valuation opportunity there. But I said what I, I think we're better off just doing is instead of trying to steal the steal, a bigger part of the current pie, let's just grow the pie. We have every at ESPN, every single sports fan in, interacts with ESPN one way or the other. Like if you are a fan of sports, you can't avoid ESPN. They have, they have too many exclusive rights to too many games. You will have to engage with ESPN. And so so as a result, why don't we just convince people that are already predisposed to being sports fans and fans of ESPN to try fantasy football and play it with us? And the way we do that, the way we do that is we take fantasy football from being this nerdy niche thing that, you know, only, you know, only, you know, guys in black T-shirts living in their mom's basement play. And we just make it something that guys do. What do guys do? Guys, you know, guys like. Pizza and cigars and beer and hanging out with their buddies and superhero movies and going to Vegas and filling out a bracket for March Madness and oh by the way you got to do your fantasy team. Is this every guy fills out a bracket? Every guy fills out a fantasy team, and so we did that. We we did that over the you know it took us a few years, but we eventually got there. And so that's I think what I'm most known for. But, but I mean, that's my elevator pitch. Is I'm just sort of I'm the most well known guy in, in fantasy football. I'm the I've been called by many publications, the face of fantasy football. The thing beyond that is, is my book fantasy life. When we were out there pitching fantasy life, me and my book agent, we heard from a number of people. They said, you know what? The only, we get that you're popular. We get that you got all these followers on social media, but the truth of the matter is, is all they do is they follow you because your advice is free. It's all free on ESPN.com. And, and you're telling them who to win. You're telling them who to start and sit. And so we don't think your audience is going to walk into a bookstore, plunk down 30 bucks to pay for a book of your writing that has no fantasy advice in it. Mm-hmm. That's just a that's a book that's filled with funny fantasy stories and the story of your life. We don't think people are there's we don't think there's going to be enough people that find that interesting. And so we're going to pass. And I heard that from some people. Eventually, an imprint of Penguin Books called Riverhead, shout out to the great Matthew Boyd, super editor, Matt Boyd, who heard the pitch, was a fan of mine, believed in it, took it to Penguin and said like, hey, I think we should do this. And so we did it. And they signed me to a deal. And I spent two years writing it all just by myself, locked into my basement, you know, banging away in my dungeon. And, you know, and it came out, hardcover book, 30 bucks. And when when it came out, it debuted at number five on the New York Times bestseller list. And so a spent, couple people, it, a
2: couple people were interested in your story yeah, and the fun Yeah. Stuff.
0: And so, and it spent many, many months on the list, spent multiple months on the list. And so I was just, I was so proud of that because I'd been told, you know, oh, that's not going to happen. You're not a good enough writer. They only care about you because of your, of your advice. And so the fact that I was able to write a book, and they also said, by the way, the primary book buying audience is women and your audience is primarily male and just a million reasons why it wouldn't work. And it did, and it did in a big way and just a massive way. And so because that was sort of like kind of all me and didn't really have anything to do with ESPN, that's, you know, that's uh, the professional accomplishment I'm most proud of.
2: I want to go back a little bit to, we know you didn't start fantasy football, but you absolutely are the face that pops up when you're looking for a fantasy, fantasy football analyst or an expert to look at. However, when when was that? When did you first Kind of bring that to ESPN and say, "Hey, look, this is big. This is coming. It's more than just a hobby. This could be a business." What What year was that? What What time frame?
0: 2007. So I graduated college. I've been playing since I was 14 years old, and and I it's been it's been many moons since I saw 14 years old. So I've been playing, you know, my entire life basically. And in 1999, I graduated. I graduated college. Graduated college in So 1999, I'm living out in Hollywood. I'm working as a writer, and there's a website called Roto World, and Roto World is advertising for fantasy writers. They're like, hey, and this is back in the days of AOL and CompuServe. You had to dial up to get to the internet, and Roto World at the time was kind of this low-traffic website, but I was on it all the time, and so I wrote them, and I said, hey, listen, I'm a professional writer living out here in Hollywood. I write for TV and movies, but fantasy sports is my passion, and boy, I think that would be so much fun just to write a column for you on the side. Could I could I try out, send you a sample, something like that? And they said, they wrote me back the next day and they said, We looked you up on IMDB. Married with children is our favorite show of all time. You're hired. So because I wrote, you know, shoe store jokes for Al Bundy, I got to write a free fantasy sports column for a low traffic internet internet site. I think I'm, I'm I think I'm a pretty good writer. I think I'm a pretty good writer. And I quickly developed the following. And after about four and a half years, I developed a big enough following. It was 2004 and people were starting to make money on the internet at this point. The, the internet.com bubble had burst and then actual real revenue was coming to the internet. I know this seems crazy for people here of now, but there was a time where people weren't, didn't trust advertising on the internet, didn't trust spending money on the internet. So they, yeah. so they did that and we're starting to finally do that and make money on the internet. And I thought I had a big enough audience. So I left Roto World to start my own blog called TalentedMrRoto.com, and even though I didn't realize it at the time, it was my first kind of exposure to entrepreneurship, Mm -hmm. and so I started, you know, this was pre-days of like Wix.com or, you know, WordPress or something like that where you could just sort of grab a website off the shelf, and so I hired, you know, I scraped together $10,000 of my own money, and I hired a a developer to build me a website and found some guys that I thought were pretty good writers as well and started a, a website. And I realized I didn't I didn't go out and raise money. This is pre under you know pre Shark Tank. Didn't really understand the venture capital world or anything like that. Didn't didn't understand how all that worked. So I realized that I had no money for advertising or marketing. That the only way I was going to be able to market the website was me. So I went to every radio station, every website, every TV station I could find, and said, "I will come on your air for free. I will write for you for free. Just mention my website. Just link back to my website." And obviously, you know, when you're looking for promotion, one of the first places you would go is ESPN. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: And so I started doing some stuff for ESPN ESPN Radio in LA. That went well, and that led me to doing some stuff for Cold Pizza. If you remember that TV show, that was the precursor to First Take. And that, from Cold Pizza, I started doing stuff for ESPN News, and then I started writing for ESPN the magazine. I just kept working my way up at ESPN, just I would do a good job, and somebody at ESPN would pass me off to somebody else, and so on and so forth. And eventually in 2007, ESPN came to me and they said, fantasy football is big enough that we think we think we need a guy. You know, we've been talking internally, we need a Mel Kuiper. We need a Mel Kuiper for fantasy football. We like all the work you do for us. And at that point, the website, my website was profitable. You know, no one was buying yachts or anything like that, but we were in the black. We had paid subscribers. We we were doing, we were doing well. We'd won a bunch of awards. And so ESPN says to me, We'd we'd like to buy your website, move you out to Connecticut, and make you the guy. So a two-year deal with a a third year option that was only ESPNs. They had the option to keep me and and I ended up doing 15 years there. I did like four or five different contracts with them. And you know, they they asked me to stay at the end of my last one, but I just felt like there were, you know, as much as I like ESPN and have tremendous respect for the company, just felt like there were better opportunities for me.
2: I really, I, I've, I'm i not new to sports. I've been a sports fan my whole life, but being part of a sports tech or sports geared company has really opened my eyes to the industry, the challenges, how small of a network it is. And at the same time, massive reach, massive amounts of money being spent here. But fan engagement is this topic that comes up all the time. And I cannot think, I mean, help me out with this. I cannot think of a better fan engagement tool than fantasy football for the nfl like you can create any kind of app and exciting you know broadcast integration or i don't know all of the amazing creative things that are happening but in terms of driving viewership and people getting invested in these players like i i'm i'm the prime example of someone who'd never played until this year one first place one first place nice. thank you for your support thank you for your your advice i want
0: to say this though for your audience see why you never texted me even though you could have <laughs> You never DM'd me, even though you could have. You did. Well, it all I listen. Room.
2: I'm a good listener. I followed. Yeah. You know, I I know where to find this information, and I, you know, sometimes I went against what you what you suggested because I just fell to my heart. I know Jamar Chase better than Matthew does this week, but okay. you know, I'm a prime example. You know, I've, I've watched thousands of football games, but there was something about the competitive nature of fantasy because I'm ultra competitive that had me bought into looking at these injury reports and, you know, following Twitter and looking for these frequent updates, watching your show, listening to these recommendations. And they're one that got me ultra involved in these teams and players that I just, you know, have seen or watched, but wasn't truly invested in. And I'm just thinking, you know, does the NFL acknowledge your impact on probably driving ticket sales, Jersey sales, site traffic. I mean, at the league level, do they acknowledge the the impact of fantasy football as a fan engagement tool? Cause they all want it. They all say, Hey, we want fan engagement, but I'm curious at the league level, have they ever acknowledged that? Do they, do they acknowledge how much of an impact it had on the enter- enterprise?
0: You asked two questions there. So did, have they ever, have they ever, have they ever acknowledged me specifically? No, they have not or my personal impact. Have they, have they recognized the importance of fantasy to their product? A hundred percent. I mean, this is, this is a company that used to like, they wouldn't, they wouldn't talk about fantasy. They wouldn't put it on their website. Amy Trask, who is, you know, the, you know, former, you know, she's now a talking head at CBS, but she used to be in the front office of the Oakland Raiders. And she's been very public about this, that she remembers back in the day that like they had a fantasy football article on their website on the, you know, whatever, oaklandraders.com or whatever it was. And that she, within a half hour of being posted, she got a call from the league office saying, take that down. We don't talk fantasy. So they have come full circle. You know, I think honestly, some of the work that I and a lot of my colleagues at ESPN did helped this in a big way where they saw a league partner talk about fantasy and they saw kind of the numbers and the success we had. And they thought, Oh, okay. The the world didn't crumble people. It didn't boil down. So I think there was, there was a time where they thought it was, they thought it was sports betting or close to sports betting, so they were comfortable with fantasy. Then I think they realized a couple of things. Number one is they got a better understanding of what the hobby is and that while there are some underlying similarities to sports betting and fantasy football, specifically fan engagement, specifically both activities give you a rooting interest in a game that you might not otherwise care about, they're also vastly different in a lot of ways. And so I think they realized there was a New York Times study where it was shown that the average football fan watches about three hours of, of football a week. One game they watch. One game they watch their team. But the average fantasy player watches over six hours a week, twice as much, catching snippets of games. You know, maybe they watch they watch their team and then they watch the Monday night game or the Sunday night game. They watch a primetime game as well, even if they don't, even if their team isn't playing in it. So once they, I think they realize that that like. That, that their fantasy fans were the avids of the avids, people watching twice as much of their product as others. I think that's when the league really started to embrace fantasy football. You can now play fantasy football on their website, you know, or on an NFL app as well. And obviously over the years they've, they've since now, you know, in not, not just fantasy football, but they've also embraced sports betting. It took a while to get there, but yes, certainly I think today, not me specifically, but they absolutely acknowledge the importance of fantasy football, has made in terms of the growth of the, the popularity of the
1: sport.
2: Sure. I'm, I'm excited to see how <clears throat> both fantasy and some of the exciting work that's being done in sports betting to address a new audience. Micro betting is, is one of those. I think yeah. that as a avid sports fan, but maybe more casual, better, more casual fantasy player. I'm again, the prime example of somebody who might want to bet on those big moments or a player that I'm particularly interested in. So it's, we're in an exciting place i i i i promise i'll text you for more advice but i like your business advice just as much as your fantasy football advice so i appreciate it. let's talk about fantasy life and bet spurts and how that came about
0: so you know when i wrote that book in 2013 fantasy life there are a number of i, I thought based on the success of that book that i thought there was a number of things i could do off of the brand and build up fantasy life as a brand and so there's a couple of different companies that i formed under the brand name of fantasy life into a consumer from the consumer's point of view it's all Matthew Berry's fantasy life but they are actually separate companies and what you're speaking about is the fantasy life app and so we created a social network for fantasy players under the name fantasy life and it's a the app has tools and community and an Instagram like feed where you can where you can create polls and and post gifts and comment and and dm and and like you know, they're like all the trappings of a social network, but there's also some tools in there. There's some advice, the ability to have, you know, chats from influencers like myself to give advice. There are and the ability to get immediate feedback, sort of wisdom of the crowds on decisions. Should I make this bet? Should I should I start this guy? Should I make this trade, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, that's, the, that's the Fantasy Life app. It's a really great app. Our alerts are second to none. It's what the app is mostly known for is our literally fastest in the business alerts, we were actually faster than faster than the books i was introduced to reed Rooney, who's the ceo of betsbert by a mutual friend and what he said to me is we were in fantasy life app was a lot of we had a huge user base we had a huge user base we had a really good brand name in and the, the market but we we candidly we we weren't great at monetizing the audience and we were struggling with raising money. My friend, my mutual friend said to me, he goes, you know what? There's this company called BetSports, and they do what you do. You guys are fan engagement. You guys are a social network for fantasy players. They're a social network for sports bettors. And by the way, they're great at monetizing their audience. They're great at raising money. They're really good operators. They have all the things you don't do well. What they don't have is a, somebody like you with your name and, and sort of reach. And I think you guys might, you know, get along very well, and you should talk. And as we started talking, we started talking, and you know, they made an offer to uh, to acquire the company, and and so I thought, you know what, this does make a lot of sense. I think they they are really good operators. They are they're better operators than what I had working for me on on Fantasy Life. be candid and. Again, I thought they had some plans for monetizing the audience of fantasy life that hadn't been thought of yet, or if they had been thought of, they hadn't been executed. And it just made a lot of sense. And they made an offer that I thought was pretty good. And so we made that deal. And as a result of that deal, and so, you know, it was an exit of some level, but as part of that deal, I have equity now in BetsBurts. I'm on the board of directors of BetsBurts. And so it's been, that's been a lot of fun. So I'm still involved with... The Fantasy Life app, but BetSports has has emerged from it, which at the time started as just this one social network for sports betters, and now BetSports has a bunch of different properties, including including BetSports, the Fantasy Life app, Four for Four Football, which is a premium content and sports betting subscription site, Dynasty League Football, another premium subscription service for a specific niche of fantasy football, which is Dynasty League. And then we just acquired Bleacher Nation. In the past year, we also started up BetSports Golf, which is a specific subscription site for fantasy and sports betting around the PGA. So, so a number of different properties under under the BetSports banner. And the last thing that was public is we raised we raised five million in our Series A. And so we're doing doing really well, and we expect to be fully profitable by next year. So
2: wow, yeah, that's, that's going really well that that's huge when you were looking to it sounds like you were maybe attempting to raise money for fantasy life and this acquisition opportunity came about do you recommend an approach like that for startups who say look i don't have the reach are short running out of runway there are a lot of creative acquisitions that happen i don't hear as much of them in the sports tech space or sports media space but is that something you might recommend to somebody who's got something really killer on the tech side and just struggling with reach it's a unique partnership that you guys did but it seems like it's going really really well
0: yeah, it's it is going really well. And I, I don't think that it's one of those things that I don't think there's one advice that fits all. I think it just depends on where you are as a company, where you are as a founder, what's your strengths, what's your skill set. In this particular case, what I realized is I had a couple of things going for me and I, I had a bunch of things that weren't. I did not have, you know, what I'm good at is promoting something, driving an audience somewhere. And but what I'm not is is I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't have the time to be a day-to-day CEO. I just don't. And the person that was the CEO, I don't want to, I'm not trying to say anything bad, but the person who was a CEO, I think had, had taken the company as far as he could and isn't, you know, was more of a operator for higher type than he was a hardcore, passionate fantasy player. Not that he isn't bright, because he is very bright, and not that he didn't, you know, learn fantasy and play in it and do well. But I don't know, I just, I, I think that he'd sort of taken the company as far as he could take it. And and so I think I realized this, and and so did he, to his credit. You know, we started talking about a transition where he's just like, you know, in terms of, he'd pulled all the levers he could pull, and we needed to, you know, he, he'd never really... He'd never run a company that was in the social space. He'd never really run a company in the sports social space. And so for us, it was just sort of like, we had a lot of positives to us, but there were some things that were lacking. And so we were going to make a, you know, something that my CEO and I had discussed. We were going to make a change regardless. He was going to help me with the transition, but he was going to step down anyway. And so we were trying to figure out what those next steps were, whether we go out and raise more money ourselves, whether, you know, I try to hire another CEO or what happened in this case is like, do we try to go get acquired by somebody that was complimentary? And I think it was just very unique in that it was, we had this one good friend in common, Reed and myself, and that what they were doing was in many ways complementary to what we were doing. Just, we were, we were really focused on fantasy sports, specifically fantasy football. They were really focused on sports betting, but both were social communities, user-generated content with an affiliate model. And so it just meshed really well on a lot of kind of levels. You have to to mix metaphors here. You've got to sort of, you know, play the hand you're dealt, right? Play the play the ball where it lies. Like and so I think where we were it just it just made a lot of sense to partner with them because I wanted to protect my investors, I wanted to protect my investment as well and I thought I thought we had a much better chance at a home run result, you know, under the BetSports umbrella than I did think we had on our own, going out on our own.
2: Isn't it so hard to avoid sports analogies and and puns—it's my—it's my, it really my biggest—my biggest weakness. And not to make another comparison, but I feel like when you're building a team or building your company or looking to have it be—you're almost building your own fan. You're you're drafting a team you're identifying yep. strengths and weaknesses. I think that's something that Invenu has done really well to identify great people on our team. We have seriously the smartest. It's great to be the dumbest person on the team. We've got yeah. some brilliant, brilliant people working with us. And and on that note, I'm curious, I know you you get tons of offers to work with companies or requests to work with companies. What do you What do you look for when you're seeking out those opportunities or, or weighing your options?
0: It depends on what's needed for me. I mean, first off, what's needed for me? Is it just a check or do they need me to sort of roll up my sleeves and, You know, give some advice, give some analysis, give some because I have some some investments where it's just a check. It's not in the sports world at all. It's just this is a business like I have a, you know, I have an investment in a whiskey company. You know what I mean? Like and just just because I think it's a good business and I think it's going to sell and it does really well. I don't know anything about whiskey and they're never asked me to endorse it. I'm even not a I'm not even a whiskey guy. I'm a tequila guy. But it was just, it was a really good, you know, you started looking at the financials and the models and, you know, I know people that are passionate about this particular brand of whiskey. And so, you know, after you do all the due diligence, you're like, you know what, this seems like a good investment. So invest in that. So there's things like that where you, where it's just a, it's just a check, but the ones that want to use my name, that want to use my influence, my, my network, in addition to possibly my check or, or my time, you know, an advisory board share for me, then it's like it's well, number one, can I be helpful, right? You know, so like I can't be helpful to a to a whiskey company. I can't be helpful to a you know, hey, here's a here's a chain of Minute Clinics or whatever. It can't be right, you know. <laughs> have
2: you have you been have you been approached on one of those?
0: No, but I I, <laughs> I was approached on a on a thing of dry cleaners, like a chain oh. of dry cleaners, and so you're just like I I don't know anything about the dry cleaning business. And other than sending like a tweet or two saying this is the best dry cleaner. Like I can't, what can I do that help? But when it comes to fantasy and sports betting, you know, almost any aspect of the business, I feel like I can be helpful because I know a lot of people. I understand it. I understand what the consumers want out of those products. Cause I talk to them all the time. So number one is what, what's the ask of me? What's the role? Do I have the time? Do I have an interest? And then you're like, okay, well, do I believe in the product? Do I believe in the idea? Even if the product isn't great, you're like, can you sort of see it getting to where it needs to go? Can you, you, do, you, do you buy the pitch? And then the other thing that that ultimately happens is, is like, you know, do you buy the team? The fact of the matter is, is that when it came to venue, it was three things. Number one is I thought, you know, your tech's awesome. Number two is, is like, I believe that there was, that there was and at the time and there still is a massive opportunity in the micro betting market, especially for a, a B2B provider that has really great tech. And I don't think there's only going to be one winner in that space. And then, you know, I was just so blown away by Kelly, uh, the CEO of Envenu, you know, even in a world in which everyone where the word genius gets thrown around a lot, she's legit a genius, like legit a genius. And so for me, signing up with Envenu is a bet on, on the idea and the product and mostly Kelly and then the team that she's, you know, surrounded herself with. As I met everyone and started to get to know the team at Envenu, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Because I, I believe you guys will get to where you need to be. I have no doubt about that. So that's sort of what I do. It's a, it's a little bit of data and it's a little bit of gut feel. Because I don't think there's any science that you can ever put to these things. Sure. You can study the numbers all you want. You can look at the perspectives. You can look at the, you know, the, whatever, the revenue forecast. But at the end of the day, it's just, it's a little bit of like, you know, do you trust the people? Are you, are you betting on the people? And so that's what I like to do.
2: I love that you gave some of our team some advice on criticism, and your your opinions are a lot more public than than others, and that's that's part of the gig, right? It's giving recommendations and making those predictions. I think we've all been there where we feel like we've been challenged or ridiculed of our predictions. Or I'm curious, you, you gave some great feedback. I would love for you to share it um, about handling that criticism. You deal with it on a very public stage, and I think you handle it super well. Any any advice for anybody dealing with Again, not the level of probably feedback that you get, but you know when they cr- come across a challenge or or struggle like that. Any advice?
0: Yeah, I think having a really good sense of self worth is important, and by that I mean this: if, for example, you went to Joel Embiid, you say, "Ha ha, you're short." Joel Embiid's like, "What?" You know, like <laughs> he just dunk times. on you instead. <laughs> right. I mean, like you can't. You know what I mean? Like, like if somebody says to me. You know they're trying to make fun of me because oh Matthew you're short I'm six foot and I'm 200 pounds like I'm not a shrimp I'm not a I'm not a short man and like so it's just like it's sort of like that doesn't bother me right that it just rolls off my back but if someone were to say something to me that that I think there's some truth to hey hey ah Matthew you're balding also true by the way. Now I'm personally very comfortable with it and I make jokes about it myself, but like that's something that potentially could bother me if I was sensitive about my hairline. And so you're like, okay, so if you get criticism, I guess my point is, is that to consider the criticism, is there any truth to the criticism, even if it's mean spirited and if there is some truth to it, you know, okay, how do we address that as a company, as a, as an executive, what's, what are they making fun of? Is there some truth to it or not?
2: Uh, we have some great mutual friends. Well, you you have a lot of great friends. I'm hoping to extend our mutual mutual friend list. But Jeff Reese is one of my favorite people. Also an advisor to InVenue. You guys have been awesome to, to collaborate with. He gave me some fun advice and an exercise to kind of think about 2023 and things we want to accomplish and he said hey think of it as a headline what headline do you want and, and work back from there i want to know what what matthew barry's headline that you're looking forward to to capturing in 2023 anything exciting what are you pumped about what's your what's your 2023 headline
0: nbc continues to expand fantasy and betting pros, you know betting across all platforms you know what okay. i mean like for me you know, one of the things we've talked about at NBC is like me being a part of some of our tentpole coverage—not just football, but is there betting or and or fantasy that we could do around the Kentucky Derby, around the Indy 500, around the Olympics, around NASCAR, around Big Ten football next year, some of these really am- golf, Premier League, etc. You know, we NBC Sports has a number of fantastic properties, and so is there a way for fantasy and or betting to to work its way into that. So that's exciting for me talking about that, you know. NBC's a great company and they've we've had conversations about other aspects of the company and what potentially I could do, you know, in other areas of the company. So for me that's, you know, I love NBC and that's, you know, one of my big headlines for 2023 is just continue to expand on the uh, the role and opportunity at NBC. You know, on a personal level, I hope that, you know, over the next year, uh, you know, I'm excited about Fantasy Life Newsletter, which is the startup that I'm working on right now. Separate company from Fantasy Life App. But Fantasy Life Newsletter is exactly what you think it is. It's a it's a, you know, written newsletter that's free, comes to your inbox every single day. We have over three hundred thousand subscribers to that. That's been I really enjoy it. Really rewarding and, and challenging, you know, so I'm excited about that. I'm hopeful that, you know, some of the startups that I advise, like venue get where they need to go. I think they will. I think the future is bright. So I think that's 2023 headline for me. And, then, you know, finally, you know, one of my kids will be in college next year. So I hope he finds, you know, college that he loves and has a great experience. My daughters will be going into sixth grade. Hope they, you know, yeah. last year of grade school for them. And so, um, you know, a bunch of milestones coming up.
2: Love that. Well, I uh, wouldn't be fair to not ask you for your prediction for Super Bowl. When this airs, the Super Bowl will be coming up in just a couple of days. I know your boy Jalen Hurts is is up. You you had a you had a good run with good old Jalen. What are your, what are your thoughts? What are your predictions? Give us your predictions. I give think us your
0: the pick. Chiefs win. I think the Chiefs win. I think the line is, you know, I, I think that I chief I think the Chiefs cover and I think they win. So is that's my prediction. As much as I love Jalen Hurts, he is my fantasy ride or die. <laughs> But I think that, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the Chiefs win a close
2: one. Okay. All right. Well, Matthew, always a pleasure to chat with you. Thanks for taking time out of your busy day. Have fun on your trips and Super Bowl. Can't wait to hear more about it. And, and we'll see you next time.
0: See CY, thanks so much.